Thank you for tuning in. My name is Nella, and welcome to my podcast, Ethereality. Today's guest is Kara Marlene. I first met her at an IANS conference. IANS stands for International Association of Near-Death Studies. Kara was a speaker at the event. At that time, sharing the same story that she's going to be sharing with you today. Kara, thank you so much for being here. I feel like I could sit down with you for a whole week's time and I same. still would maybe be just like scratching the surface. Oh, that's so sweet of you. Thank you so much. I'm so glad to be here with you. You're such a gem. You really are. Since we can't talk about all of it, tell me about the situation where you were diagnosed with breast cancer and and then you weren't. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah. So I was in Dallas, Texas, and I was in my early 30s. I just moved there and I ended up uh, getting a phone call from my estranged mother. And she told me that she had the same cancer that um, killed her mother at her age within two months. I was to get tested for a gene mutation that she has that I might have that gives our family, would give me, um, because my mother has this as well, a 70% chance and higher of getting all of the killer cancers, which is ovarian, breast, etc. You know, this is a phone call that nobody, like no one wants to get, like no one no matter how estranged they are uh, from their family. And so I uh, found myself kind of put, like just putting it off because I'm like, I'm young. I'm like 31 going on 32. There's no reason for me to do this. And um, that was the spring of 2015. And then um, later on, actually 2016, sorry, 2016, my mother um, was diagnosed. And then the fall of 2016, my father called me and he said that he too had not just one, but two kinds of cancer. That ended up starting a spiral in, in my life in particular. I just turned 32, but going into my 33rd year and it was 2017 in the spring, my, my friends literally had to give me an intervention because I was just ignoring the situation and just putting it off because I was... Again, excusing everything, I was in denial. It was around March and I got the paperwork back that told me I not only had the same gene mutation, I had higher percentages, like 75% higher of getting all um, the killer cancers. And so from there, I had to go in and get an examination. I waited and finally scheduled and it just so happened to be literally a week before my 33rd birthday. And I found myself in that clinic and it's one of the best cancer clinics in Fort Worth. I was in that room and I remember how tumultuous my emotional state was. I am someone who has always been able to handle things. Like I've always been able to stay level-headed. Like I've always been able, like I prided myself on that. And I've, I felt like not just fear, but like terror for the first time, I think. And I didn't really know what that was. It was just a very intense sense of, of fear. And, and almost like the room that I was in felt like the walls were too small. It felt like my ribcage just would not but like budge. It would not expand. And my lungs just could not get enough air. I just was not doing all right. And I remember I was answering these questions and they're the same questions they asked me about um, to get into the clinic, to get the examination and the the same to uh, get the gene mutation paperwork. Like it was just 
me having to repeat the diagnosis, treatments, and deaths of those in my family. And it just felt every time I did that, it just made it worse. And so finally, the the assistant stopped with those and finished in a very short, sweet, pregnant nurse, um, just beaming. She was so pregnant that this literally the seams of her scrubs were the only thing keeping that baby in. She was just beaming. And she came over to my left side. She lifted my left arm, opened my gown, and started the examination. I remember there was a question that kind of cut through all the anxiety and fear. And I was wondering why she was starting so far out into my armpit. Like it was just, it was a very odd question, but, and it saved me from having to talk about my family history again. So I was just like, I need to know something. And so she started explaining that and she, she went through the examination and even as gentle as she was, it just felt like every time she moved her fingers, every time she put them down, it was just one step closer to me, just almost breaking down. She had almost gotten through the left side when her fingertips hit something. My hands, my left hand shot up so quickly. It actually kind of shocked me. I grabbed both of her hands way harder than I should. And I lift them off me and I snapped at her. I said, ouch, that hurts. Do not do that again. She looked at me briefly, just a, 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 a breath second. And she looked straight at the assistant and the assistant left without a word. She wiggled her hands free and she covered me back up. She put both of her hands like on top of each other, kind of, kind of shuffled a little bit and then looked at me and, and said, uh, asked me, you know, where I was from again. I was so I was so confused and taken back along with everything else. I had maybe a few moments to figure out what was actually happening when a tall, thin mechanical nurse or a doctor blew into the room. She introduced herself literally as she was walking. She didn't stop. She didn't like look at me. She went over to the nurse, literally waddled her out of the corner, took her place to start the examination herself. That nurse from my left side came to my right side, got as close as she could to my upper arm with her, both her hands folded on the table and just would not look away from me. Like she just kept staring at me. I thought that was very odd. I looked up at the doctor and the doctor was like looking over at this nurse, like looking at the nurse over her glasses. Like she was irritated or something or something was going on. And so the doctor looked back at me, lifted my left arm, opened my gown and started the examination all over again with her pokey, bony, unrelenting fingers. Like she was just, ugh, it was, it was really awful. And the worst part is she asked me about my family history again. I was like, I can't do this. And so literally through gritted teeth, I stared at the ceiling, repeating almost staccato everything again, all over as she's like moving. And I was barely making it through when she hit that same spot that nurse did. And my hand shot up again, trying to move that doctor's hands. And she would, they would not move. They were literally like just steel. And I looked at her and I got so mad. Um, I snapped at the doctor said, ouch, that hurts. Do not do that again. And it was almost threatening. And I didn't want to be that way, but I just could not believe they kept hitting that spot and why they were doing it. She looked at me dead in the eye and she probed, probed harder and deeper in and around something that felt like 
a screwdriver was drilling into my rib cage. It took literally everything I had. I think I was like grabbing the edges of the table to not swing on this doctor. I was like, I don't know what this is, but this is, this needs to stop. And so um, she was relaying things I didn't understand, like numbers and position and things like that. And so she finished the left side and she went to the, the right side and she found something there too. She relayed some information to the assistant. And then she had an entire conversation that I was no longer present for after she said bilateral breast cancer lumps. I was so, I was so disconnected that I didn't even realize the doctor and the assistant left. Um, I just literally just kept staring at the ceiling. And I remember coming back to the present when the nurse, sweet, precious pregnant nurse came over to my left side. She like, wedged herself back where she was the very first time she started the examination and she had a like something in her hand she, i remembered her rummaging out from the the corner of the room just distantly and she, it was a false breast and she put it on my solar plexus and she took both of my hands in hers for a moment like a mother does like both of her hands and she looked at me she says i want to show you something and then she crossed my fingertips on top of each other. She placed them on a false breast in a certain spot, put hers on top of mine and then pressed down. And it felt like pea sized or larger misshapen like lumps, but like hard, like stone hard. And um, I looked at her kind of questioning. She said, these are the lumps we find, we take out and send off and always come back as benign. Um, and she quarter turned that false breast. She replaced my fingertips on top of each other on that false breast with hers on top. And she pressed down and I immediately recoiled. What I felt was like the very tip of your pinky digit, like cut that off, right? And make it stone hard, but ground it to a point. It literally like hurt to my fingertips to touch. I look at her almost upset because I was like, why do I keep, you know, this hurt? And she looks at me and she said, these are the breast lumps we find we take out and we send off and they almost always come back as breast cancer. And I don't think I even breathed when she took both of my hands, opened my gown back up and placed my fingers on top of that spot on my left side where her and the doctor both hit and she pressed down. When I say it, it hurt, it hurt not just to my fingertips because it was the same size and shape and hardness of that breast lump that I had just felt, but it hurt into my bones and my sinew and a part of my soul. It told me without telling me a truth I had been denying this whole time. And I just could not deny any longer. And I just broke. I remember like weeping on that table. Um, for, I mean, I don't, I don't know how long. And the nurse, that beautiful, wonderful nurse, she covered me back up and she literally just sat next to me and just let me cry. It's like she refused to let me be alone. And so she waited outside for me to, to get ready. And she walked me to the door and she gave me a hug when I left. And she said, Honey, everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to be okay. And um, 
that was a, a Thursday and I could not get in for an emergency lumpectomy for uh, until Monday. So I had three days to get my affairs owner. The first day I called two of my, my friends who were like brothers to me and I had to tell someone. So I was like, I got to tell these guys. And they came over to the house that I was um, staying at the time. And um, I told them finally everything. I told them my family history. I told them what bilateral breast lumps mean, my statistics of getting this and what it looks like moving forward with the treatments they already had. They like they had chemo, radiation, double mastectomies, like everything already planned for me. Like by the time I left that place, they watched me with a visual patients I didn't understand until I was finished and they they looked at me and they said Cara thank you so much for for sharing that but you're going to be okay because we're going to lay hands on you and pray and we're going to heal you right now now I was raised in um, a religious home and they went to the church that I we we went to the same church before we actually all left at the same time which was about oddly enough a few like six months before this whole thing happened. And um, they had gone to a new church and I didn't know much about it. I'd been a couple of times and like, it was one where they like lay hands on you and pray and like very charismatic and whatnot. And I had nothing against them, but I did, I did have trouble with the, like there was a bit of sensationalism and things like that with that. And so I just, I just didn't go anymore, but I didn't want them to feel like their love they were offering was rejected. So basically I was said, okay, that, yes, honey, that's totally fine. And in my mind, I remember all those times as a kid where I would went, I went to like tent revivals and other situations where people that I know got prayed over that are still wheelchair bound. So like, it's not like I put off what they were doing. I just, I wanted to let them love me. And so they prayed over me and it was a beautiful experience. Like I, I just felt their love and I thanked them for coming over. Um, that was Friday, the next day, Saturday, I was on the phone all day. I kept having to call every single person I knew who could help. So people who could drive me to and from um, appointments, like people who cook for me and clean for me, because there's going to be times like in the treatments, if I chose to do that was like I, I would need it because I was just too tired and, and whatnot. So anyway, and when I was finished, I I was so tired. It was I was so tired, and I didn't have a car at the time, and I was actually dog sitting for one of my favorite families, and so I ended up in, at night after dark biking all the way across Fort Worth, getting to the house, and walking in, and it's so interesting. I, there were three dogs in that house and they were wonderful and very energetic and very loud all the time. Didn't matter what time that you came in. And it's almost like those dogs knew because when I walked into that, that house, the only thing I heard after I locked the door and walked all the way across the house to the guest room was the pat of my bare feet and the click of their nails on the floor as they followed me. And I remember walking through that, that doorway that almost like loomed. It felt like it was just a looming energy. And two of the dogs laid on 
the floor to the left and the other one took her place on the bed. I looked at that bed and as exhausted as I was, I could not imagine going to bed. So I ended up sitting on the very edge of the bed facing that there was a floor to ceiling wall window and it looked out this beautiful pristinely landscaped pool area and there I remember there were like deep slate blue and black shadows just dancing in the moonlight and that this the the sparkle of the the moonlight on the the pool and that whole essence just would usually give me such peace but I just remember just staring out blankly, just really looking at nothing. And I remember I sat there for, honestly, I i don't know how long, but in that time, I remember there was a moment where the energy in that room shifted, like the atmosphere shifted to a presence that I had known for a long, like a long time since I was uh, a kid. And um, that came from a, a spiritual experience, like a near-death experience I had, and we'll go over that later. But from that, that near-death experience, I had had this essence and presence of love, both internally, but also something I cultivated externally. And I would, I would lean into that in times where I needed something, um, when I needed guidance or just love from the divine. And in that moment when that atmosphere shifted, I remember going into that place where I would speak to the divine, where it would dwell inside of me and I would ask questions and I would find answers there or peace. And I remember saying to love, that presence in me, I remember saying, I know you're good. You have proved yourself too many times in my life for me to deny that. Like, I, I know that. Amen. Yeah, girl. And I, I know where I'm, I'm at. I know the road that my family has had to go through. I know the road that I faced. And I realize that my brothers have a different opinion. And I, I don't want to doubt them. And I don't want to doubt what you're capable of. But I know people that, have, that are still wheelchair bound. I, 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 when they prayed over me, it didn't work. And if there is another way, if there is something else to do. I don't know what it is. So I need you to show up. I need you to show up right now. I need you to tell me what to do. And by the time I, I was finished speaking, this, I was just, I mean, just tears were just rolling down my face. And I remember it took but a split second after I asked and two Bible verses dropped into my soul. And the first one was a, uh, the scripture of having faith like a child, which made total sense. That was one of them that I clung to 
in oh, like over and over again when I was berated for my own faith and really leaning into love since I was a child and really having to overcome a lot of things. And so that brought me peace and comfort. But the second one was the story in the Bible when people who were sick, really, really sick, that couldn't, aff couldn't afford treatments or were very poor, would go before a church and have them lay hands on them and pray to be healed. And I remember just stopping and realizing what that meant. And I, to myself, I thought, no, no, I'm sure I crossed lines. I'm sure I didn't hear that right. I know we just had this talk. We talked about this love. Like, I'm going to need you to do that again. I'm going to need you to do this. I misunderstood you. So why don't you just tell me again? And I sat there for like a like long moments. Like all like if I I I had a proverbial like notepad, like just like, you know, just waiting. And that assurance that I heard correctly, that assurance that I knew what I was supposed to do did not waver. And so I went my brother's church that next morning, which was Sunday, um, the third day, by the way. And I walked straight in. I say hello to my brothers, which they're shocked to see me, and went straight to the pastor and preacher, which who I'd known. I remember I, I had been there before, and the shock that they had on their face was kind of twofold because one probably my presence when I walked up to them was just like of my face set like slant, right? But two, I had been at this church before, right? I had, um, like I said, the conflict I had with them that, that made them make it very clear I wasn't welcome in the church was the sensationalism of them saying things such as no one meaning like no one in the world, um, specifically their church, can have the power of God specifically for uh, miracles and healing unless they, they the people who wanted the, the gift, was were anointed by them as apostles because they were anointed by God. And um, the like the visceral feelings I would get every time I said that had to have like made itself known through me speaking out again. Like I, I tried to be as polite as I could, but basically that I had discussions with them about how my own experiences, what I knew in the Bible, I did, I, I did not allow them to say those things without me saying something first or back. So anyway, like I said, that that's when they, told me I wasn't welcome but you know the shock and dismay was definitely just plaster all over their face when I walked straight up to them at the front of the church they were watching then I said I was told by what you call God and I call love to go to a church and have them lay hands on me and pray because they told me I had breast cancer <laughs> after a few moments of gathering themselves the the leadership agreed tentatively agreed and so I found myself in the very front pew of that church and I was still so exhausted I couldn't stand for worship 
I just sat there. Like I was hunched over. My arms were literally locked uh, straight, holding my, my upper body up and my head just hung. And I think after like a song and a half, the, the pastor wife came over with all of her elders, like all the people she had anointed. And they, I mean, like there were like eight of them and they laid hands on me and they were praying. Some were singing, some were speaking in tongues. And I'm fairly certain there were a few people trying to exercise me. And so it's true. It's true. Uh, it was at least two songs. They sat there and continued to do that. And the longer I sat there, the harder I just cried because nothing was happening. Nothing. And eventually they left me weeping on that front pew. And, um, I had two hands left on me, one on my right shoulder that I knew to me, my friend, Chris, and I knew he was just speaking love and comfort into me. That's just how he is. It's his heart and soul. And there was another one. I didn't know who it was, but it was a very, it was a very small hand on the left side of my middle, my middle back. And with my eyes closed and my head hung and just tears just streaming into my lap. I remember going back into that place, that dwelling place within me where the divine, where I always connected with, with the divine, with God, with love, whatever they would call it. And I took a moment and I just stayed there. And with my inner voice, after that time, I said to love, I said, I still know you're good. I still know you're good. Even though this didn't work twice, I still know you're good. And I know the path that I've chosen. And I know what I face. And I can face it all with you. So, whatever your will is, I accept. And the moment I accept left my lips, a palm width beam of power came from that hand on the middle of the left side of my back. It beeline from that hand through my rib cage. It split into two, covering one, my left side breast lump and my right side breast lump and hovered there for songs. And um, I was like the whole world, everything outside of that space within just disappeared. I don't even, I didn't even, I didn't even, just disappeared. And it's like I could see with my mind's eye that that beam was white and pulsing and it was filled with this with all of the love and the life and the light that I had experienced in my near-death experience and other 
um, pure joy. It was just like everything good. Just love, pure love itself pulsed inside of me. And during those, those songs, it stayed there and I just was there with it. And eventually it dissipated into me. It didn't disappear. It literally dissipated into me. And I knew it was over. So I, I was bringing, I was coming back to basically consciousness because I just was completely gone. I remember when I was coming to, I, I knew my lips were speaking something. I just didn't, I could not comprehend what it was. because I was just so disconnected. Finally, when I realized what I was saying, I realized I was repeating, I accept this, I accept this, I accept this over and over and over again. I took a few moments just to breathe and I realized I had a second wave of shock hit me when I literally could actually take in what was happening in the room. Like the, the singers were still singing. The people were still praying. Hands were still raised. Those people with their hands were still on me. And no one knew what happened. Not a soul in that room. And so when I realized that, I remember taking my right arm, reaching it over my left shoulder, taking the hand that was on the left side of my back where that power came from. I pulled them through the pew and around and I sat them next to me in that front pew. And it was a 13-year-old girl. And looking at her, everything made sense. Every single thing. Faith like a child. Faith like a child. Yeah. To add to that, this 13-year-old girl was not a girl who went to church every weekend. She wasn't one who wore dresses long enough, who memorized Bible verses. She wasn't one that had a family that was connected in the church and was legacy. This was a girl down the street that came from a very, very broken home that needed a safe place to go that Sunday. So her childlike faith met my childlike faith and a miracle. It, and I, I knew, like I knew something had happened. And looking at her, I realized what that meant. And I wanted her to know. Because I saw myself in her. I saw the the other miracles that I'd seen in my life up until this point. It was almost hard for me to believe because I was doing this alone. I didn't have anyone to encourage me. And But I knew what was possible. I knew. So I, I looked at her. I said, honey, Cece, honey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you something that may be hard for you to believe or understand. But I believe that what they, pointing at the, the, the leaders, the pastor and preacher of the church, would call God, but what I, pointing myself, I said, would call love, chose you to heal me of cancer right now. I believe that. And I want you to know that. Because that is how powerful you and love are together. And I want you to never forget that. 
And I remember leaving that church and it was the, the next morning I woke up really early because I had to bike all the way across Fort Worth, go to this clinic to get the 3D mammogram ultrasound for an uh, emergency lumpectomy. Um, and I was going to go alone until a woman that I knew at the time said she just, she called me out of the blue. Like she lives like 45 minutes away. She's like, I'm not going to let you go alone. So she traveled 45 minutes to drive me across town, almost 30 minutes to go to this. And I remember I was in the waiting room, paper gown on, and she was trying her best to distract me from what was happening because I knew something had happened. Right. But the reality was still there. Like the, like it was like a duality. Right. And I found myself in this this room. I walked into this room. I knew it was a mammogram room. I could see the mammogram machine in front of me. And behind that at a desk was this nurse and she had glasses on and she was like middle-aged and she had what I knew probably to be my chart in her hand. Right. But she was like flipping through it. Like she was, and she was so, she was so angry. Like she was like frustrated and and she would flip back and forth in the chart. And then she would like look for something on the, uh, the desk. And then she'd go back to the chart and she did this long enough for me to be like, um, mm -mm. Okay. And she looked over her glasses at me and she said, Oh, welcome in. Where are your breast lumps? And I'm like, what? I'm sorry. Uh, and I just started stammering and she, like, she just looked at me like I was supposed to know what was ha like happening. And so she gave me literally like maybe 30 minutes or 30 seconds of just like, um, I, um, there's a chart they made measure their measurements. I know I was there, like, um, and it kind of pointed dumbly at like places at my chest cavity. And she, she finally got frustrated. She snapped my chart together, closed, and she said to me, "Oh, well, we're just going to scan everything." You know, briefly, I was like, "That's probably a good. I that's probably a good idea. They should. You should probably start. You should probably start doing that." I got through the scan, of which I almost hyperventilated halfway through because it's just it is not a fun process and so I go out of that room and I sit in the waiting room possibly five to seven minutes not more than that and I was called back to a, an, uh, an ultrasound room and I remember walking in again and the ultrasound machine was between me and a nurse at a desk and there was a, a nurse standing on or sitting on one of those like taller stools and there was a tv in front of her like a tv screen kind of thing where they, you know, have charts and stuff. And then she had a, a chart, which I assumed was mine in her hand. And she, again, she was looking, she was kind of flustered like the other, other nurse. And she was like looking through the chart, like flipping through the pages. And then she would look at something on the screen. She'd zoom in and she'd like flip through, like she's going through it, looking through images. And then I again had to like mm -hmm, clear my throat to kind of get her attention. She like leaned around, snaked herself around the ultrasound machine and said, oh, um, hi, welcome in. Um, where are your breast lumps? Now, I had enough time to gather my wits between the mammogram and the ultrasound. I am not this person, but if I think that you and your incompetence or ignorance is going to hurt me or my loved ones, I get super literal. So I basically told her, I don't know what you're talking about, but there's a chart in your hand 
with measurements. I know because I was at the clinic when they did it. The doctor measured me. They related to the assistant. And I know for a fact that is the mammogram that they just did, a 3D mammogram that can pick up almost anything. Like the smallest minute, any kind of cancer reading, any kind of lumps that you've got. Like I know that. So I'm going to need you to do your job and find those lumps yourself. And rightfully so, she snapped that chart together and told me to my face, well, we're just going to scan everything. Now. She did way too aggressively in my personal opinion. I was just a lot of enthusiasm <laughs> with that. Just a lot. And so as she was leaving, she told me over her shoulder, the doctor would be in to finalize everything. For me, that meant that I was going to be injected with a numbing serum, which I don't like needles at all. And uh, this doctor, while I'm awake, is going to cut me open, take the, these lumps out, right? Uh-huh. Like to send them off and, and tell me what's going on. And so I'm prepping myself for that. Like I'm doing breathing exercises, like a lunatic. I'm just like trying to calm myself down. I would lose And it. <laughs> I mean, it was just yeah. a, like a lot, right? Ugh. And it took maybe like, I, it could not have been more than five minutes. This doctor flies into the room while I'm just like in the middle of a breath, like breath session. He introduces himself, gives me maybe a split second to say my name. He comes in, leans over, puts his, his right hand on my left knee and pats it and says, thank you for coming in, Miss Cara. We'll see you when you're 40. Excuse me? <laughs> yeah. Turns around and tries to leave that room. Now, I thought I had myself put together. Uh, I didn't. I lost it. I popped off of that table. I stopped him mid-stride, both of my hands on his shoulders. I whirled this short, sweet, silver-haired man around, and I got into his face, and I shook him, and I said, I don't know what's going on here, but you have lost my breast lumps. Everyone has lost my breast lumps, and I have done every scan to find them. So now you're going to poke around. You're going to find those breast lumps. You're going to take them out, and you're going to send them off, and you're going to tell me you don't have breast cancer. And... <laughs> It took him like at least two minutes, like just a very long minute to just like gather himself. Be like a good 30 seconds of just like a moment. And he shook me. <laughs> he kind of shook his shoulders, shook me off, replaced. Well, he put his hands on my shoulders, shook me just a little bit and said, ma'am, I don't know what you're talking about, but um, we as you said, have done every scan that we need to to find these breast lumps. I don't know where you went, but there's nothing to find. There are no breast lumps, ma'am. There is nothing to find. And he turned around and walked out that door. I remember just staring at where he was. Like my knees literally like kind of gave out and I stumbled backwards and I hit the table behind me uh, with a with a thud and tr like trim it wasn't shaking I was trembling like my hands 
were trembling. As I lifted that left side of the gown and I placed my fingertips on top of each other where that doctor, that nurse, and I myself had found that breast lump on that left side of my cleavage. And I remember taking a breath in and I pressed down and a pinky wit crater and a bruised sensation in my ribcage where it's the only evidence anything was ever there. I know what it's like to be transformed in a moment. Because never, never had I thought. I had it in my head that they were going to find these lumps and take them off and something had happened. I never thought that love would just dissolve death itself, like beyond question, without a doubt. Literally no way to doubt that it had moved in and dissolved death itself in me. I just did not see that. I just didn't. And um, I remember like my life completely changed after that day and now you know I'm I'm here you know telling my story um, to anyone who will listen. And I have heard it now this is my fourth time and I'm still crying. <laughs> oh gosh. As far as I know you also have had other physical health ailments that you experienced a healing from, correct? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, were, and those were uh, self-healing? Yes, they yeah, were. Self-healing? Mm -hmm. So uh, the, the first one, I actually didn't know it was happening because I was a kid. Um, so I, I have these stories in, in my book. It's called Love's Miracles and the Misery. So I had a near-death experience when I was eight years old. And that's when I was basically introduced to just love itself. I, I died and had a, a beautiful experience with love. And I knew how the world you know, works and that connection, that oneness with not just love, but everything, everyone. And I came back and it wasn't very long afterwards. So I was at my grandmother's house. I was, oh, well, we were upstairs playing an Atari because that was like the Nintendo of the 80s. I was a very sweet, naive child. And I, I guarantee you it's because of the narrative experience and everyone was kind of, you know, I was very different and difference isn't, you know, isn't very, you know, welcome for when you're a kid. And so anyway, I ended up having to like go downstairs because I wasn't very good at the Atari and I was kind of the one that always made fun of. So I was just like, you know, I was like sad. I was like walking down the stairs and like my grandmother had like 87 grandkids. Like, and I'm not even kidding. Like my dad was first of 10, lots of kids. And so like when I'm down, going downstairs, like they're really steep and wooden. So it's an old house and um, almost like to a point, a really sharp point, there were just things all over the stairs and I tried to like wind myself down it well I found something that rolled out from underneath my foot you know you you curve your back as you're kind of like flying through the air and I remember my spine hit directly on the um, the stair and I basically like I, I I went flat I remember I went flat and it was like this the pain was so searing that um it took my breath away and I knew something was really bad and so I remember 
just kind of going into myself, kind of like the day I I died. And that presence was just like, just there, like, right. It was just like fully there. Like I walked right back into that experience and um, it prompted me to breathe into the pain. All, and all I wanted to do was disassociate it and just like, but it's like breathe into the pain. And all of a sudden I, I started to, and it, like it was searing at first, but then the more I breathed into it, it's like this light came from that, that curve of my back that hit like that, that part where that got hurt. And the more I breathed into it, the more like that white light just kind of hovered over it. It was the, the pain was dulled, but then all of a sudden it just kind of shrank back into it and almost became like a numb throb, like kind of thing. And um, during this time, my sister, one of my older sisters, I have a lot of older sisters, kind of like found me and she didn't really move me. She was just kind of like, you know, next to me. And she ended up eventually like picking me up and carrying me over to the couch. And I was just kind of like in her arms, taking in what kind of happened. And I didn't really know, you know, I didn't really know what happened that I had actually forgotten about until I started writing the book and remembering all these things. Like love kind of brought that up. But fast forward after I was healed from breast cancer, the miraculous healing, I found myself learning more about energy healing. So when they say like you can breathe into your energy and that energy can hover over something and like fix it or whatever. Um, I didn't know much about it. I, I do breath work I, and I'd gotten myself into really meditative states. I could feel like my um, energy shift. I did a lot of like emotional release with it, but I'd never really tried to like heal myself. And so after, you know, the, the breast cancer healing, it was maybe three, four months. I decided this day I was going to intentionally breathe into love basically within and try to move that energy with intention through my body and clear it of any lingering disease or cancer or anything like that. And so I remember I was in my apartment in Fort Worth still and the breath work started and the energy, it was relatively normal, but halfway through it shifted. And I remember feeling my whole body vibrate. Right. And, um, like I, it's almost like I could feel my energy and, um, all of that feeling, all that energy, like the tangible feeling of the energy pulled at my feet. And I remember I put the intention that we were just going to do the body scan. So the body scan started and it from that pool, it went through my feet up into my ankles and my my shins, my knees, my thighs, into like my lower abdomen. And it was slow and it was thick. It was almost like it felt um, like a buzz or, um, you know, like when your, your feet falls asleep, but if you expand that and make it thicker, but not as like tingly and painful, it, I don't know how to explain it other than that. And so it went through the rest of my chest cavity, up into my shoulders, down my arms, and then it hit my neck and my head and it, the intensity tripled. It was just, it got so, it vibrated so much. It, it literally had like, it sounded like a honey hive. Like if you like, like what bees sound like, but if you could like put it into like a microphone into like a honey hive. That's literally what it sounded like. And it eventually, um, and it, it's like, you feel almost dizzy, but you're still, it's almost like a dizzy, grounded dizzy 
And so there were sensations and, and whatnot. And I remember feeling all that energy, that honey hive from my head, gather to the like very left back side of my uh of my head like the crown of my head and it 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 basically all of that energy literally all the energy concentrated there and then popped and i'm trying to describe the feeling when it concentrated in there it was it was the craziest thing um it felt if you condensed my breast cancer like the pulse and the the vibration and and what that and you con- concentrate it into like a golf ball, like that's literally what it felt like, right? It felt like it was moving and shifting and things like that. And I was like, okay, this is really different. And then it popped, and I knew I had healed something. I knew it. And at the time, I had met this woman, and she was very gracious. She had actually like helped me with a few other treatments that she because I told her my story. And I remember going to her and I was like, okay, how am I going to ask her for an MRI of my brain? Like, how do I do this? And so I basically just come out. I was like, listen, I really appreciate everything you're doing for me. I am so grateful that you are in my life. Now I'm going to ask you something. I'm just going to ask you for something if you don't mind. And um, I asked her for an MRI of my brain. And she's like, why? I said, well, because um, I just really feel like I need it. Like, I really feel like this is really important. Because I didn't want to like, you know, freak her out and tell her. Because like, this is just, this is a lot for a lot of people. Like for me, I've had some experiences, but like, this is a lot for people. And because um, I didn't even know like what to expect. And she's like, she hemmed in hot. And she was like, if the, if the doctor thought you needed it, blah, blah, blah. And she said, and finally, like my insistence, like kind of won over the day. And she gave me the MRI and I remember going in there and the experience of them are, I do not like MRIs, even the open world, they were very nerve wracking. And I was there for like two hours. And I know this woman was like, this nurse was having a bad day. Like she was just not happy to be there. Like you could tell by the way she was, the way she was speaking and like her manners and things. Anyway, I think it was, I was in there for at least an hour and a half. And um, it was the very last part of the scans. And um, they, put, they not, not only laid me down, they put this like cage over my face. That's super close, right? And then they like shoved my face to the very top of the MRI machine. Like it was literally touching the cage. And I was like trying to breathe. And she's like, you're moving around. I was like, yeah, homie. Like, I don't know what to tell you. So... You could tell she was irritated, but then something shifted. She did one scan and she was like, oh, how are you feeling? You know, are you, do you need anything? Are you too cold? Is that why you're moving around? You know, do you need a blanket maybe? And I was like, um, I mean, yeah, that'd be fine. Um, she's like, well, we'll get that after this scan, okay? And so something just shifted like halfway through, right? When I was finished with the MRI, she gave me like extra juice boxes and extra snacks. She walked me to the front and she like, you know, did the mom pat and whatnot. And I remember leaving and it was, it was about a week later. um, They called and told me that I had a brain tumor in the back crown of my head and I needed to go to a specialist and get it checked out. And so my friend had a connection, which literally, again, came out of nowhere. It was, it's such a, 
I, I was so favored in this time frame, like to find Sue to get those things, like the breast cancer healing, and then like, you know, find out about like the, it was just very, it was very favored. And so anyway, one of my friends that I knew at the time knew the chief of neurology in Baylor. And she like literally just walked me into an appointment with him. She was like, she's like, oh, I called him. You can go next week. And I was like, oh, thank you. My gosh. And so anyway, he was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, how are you? I saw your scans. Thanks for coming in. Um, this is this is great. This is the best case scenario I've ever if I've ever seen it. And I was like, what do you How mean? can the brain tumor be the best case scenario? <laughs> Get this. He was like, Oh yeah, yeah. So this is what it looks like. It's in the back corner of your head. It's not actually in your brain. It's like on your brain. Oh, it's like a mingeo, whatever it's called, it's mingeo. It's like on the, the the covering of your brain, like the membrane around your brain. He's like, sometimes like it's not cancerous. And he's like, you know, sometimes these things never grow. And if you do need surgery because it does grow, like it's easy, pop it off. And I was like, oh, okay. Thank you for that. And it was like, but do you, did you read my chart? And he was like, oh, I mean, no, I just looked at the, the scans. My friend told me to look at the scans. I was like, well, I mean, I've got this gene mutation. He was like, what? And so we went into this conversation about, he was like, and he kept like, his face was like, oh, oh, okay. I think he either said it's, sh- he's like, either said it, sh- it should be cancerous or I'm glad it wasn't kind of thing. Cause like the, this like statistics alone, I think he was kind of talking about the statistics alone. I, it should, it should have been. And so anyway, I was like, okay, well, that's great. And so I just like, I went home and I wouldn't actually know how powerful that moment was until God, like three months later, because the correlation between the breast cancer lumps and then the brain tumor is there was a story that that happened to me that, that made that a new perspective. This is what I'm saying. I feel like I could sit here and talk to you for the next like six hours and that would be enough. <laughs> but I mean, so, in yeah. your book though, it's outlined in your book, right? hundred percent. Yeah, hundred percent. Okay, great. Mm-hmm. So was that the first time that you actually had observed like, okay, hey, like there is a part that I can play in my healing experience that told yeah. you, you are a healer essentially. Yes, absolutely. 100%. And because you, you always hear about like someone else, like, you know, you yeah. have a healer and they come to you and they, like, you know what I'm saying? Like it was never really presented as that. And yeah. And it, it's so, cause I had no training, like I had no nothing. It was just relying on that guidance from within and like in faith, really, you know what I'm saying? That's really where that, like that faith or that religion comes in. And that's just all in and on around the divine or love or God, or the spirit inside you. But yeah, that was the first time I'd ever heard about it. And then like, I had the the gall to be like, I feel like that's kind of like my whole, like, <laughs> like my, my whole like life goal. Like, it's almost like I'm artery enough to be like, mm, I'm gonna try this. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna bet on love, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. So. so since then, have you like used that gift ability a number of times with, um, with yourself, with other people? So um, since then, I actually haven't, I haven't had to. There was a story of a woman. I didn't, I don't know that I healed her, but it was very interesting. I went to a woman who is known for 
like energy healing and Reiki. And like, she's, um, I think she's a medium. She like speaks to the spirits and things, whatever she is. Like she, I went to her cause my friend went to her and, um, I sat down and it ended up literally almost immediately me speaking about my story. And I literally just told her what happened. And she looked at me and she's like, and this is, this woman has been doing this for 30 years. Like this woman is known and Dallas is like the woman to go to. Right. And it was just, it was amazing. Cause she looked at me, she's like, do you want to lay hands on me? And I was like, um, sure. I was like, does, I mean, does it matter that like, I don't have any, like, I don't know. I haven't had any Reiki training. Like, I don't like, I'm just, I'm like a wilder. I'm just winging it. Like, you know what I'm saying? She's like, no, that's actually Probably like, there are two better. ways of doing it. Yeah. 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 She said, yeah, there's two ways of doing it. She said, you either learn about, like you learn into it or you do into it. Like, you know what I'm saying? It's almost like, um, they call them wilders, which I love. I love that term. She's like, you're a wilder. It's like love, just like almost like anointed, you, like anointed you. It, it, it was drawn from your, your experiences and it just kind of happened. Right. Anyway. And I, she laid on the table and, um, I don't do Reiki, but as I'm an esthetician, I've always had, I've always had a, a heat, like not a healing touch. I mean, I guess it would be a healing touch. I was always, I was always able to calm people calm people to the point where they just kind of got into a sleepy trance-like state. And that's basically what I did. There are, a, there are a few points that you can touch on a person's head and face and things like that. And she just, she like literally just slipped into it and she stayed there for hours. And so what I ended up doing was I, um, there were singing bowls there and then there were um, some chimes and if, if I was led to, like, I think that I put um, my hands on her, her head and the side of her shoulders and then and other parts and whatnot. Um, but she came out of that and she, she was like, that was the most restful hours I have had in years. And so that would probably be the closest that I uh, have gotten to it. Um, uh, but I'm a firm proponent. Like I love the fact that I, uh, am able to put people in those, those, um, those states of, of just being, cause I feel like healing naturally like happens in, in those, those states of being like, I think that might be part of, um, what people would call like my, my gifting, because I do the same thing to people when I'm speaking to them. Like when they open up to me, I've always been that person that people open up to. It's like, I disarm them. And so if they're on a table, I disarm them enough to basically fall asleep and rest, just rest, right. That healing rest. But if I'm speaking to someone, I feel like I've, I'm able to, they just disarm, like they feel safe. I think that's probably what I know. And moving forward, I, I feel like my calling in, in healing is probably going to teach people self-healing. I don't think, because I don't, I haven't had a, other than the girl, the CC, like laying hands on me, I've had a lot of internal from the inside out. Absolutely. Have you ever been trained with Reiki? No, no. I knew like, I, um, funny enough. So like I was, I was raised in a very strict religious home. Like I wasn't even supposed to be doing breath work or meditation. So I did that in my room. So no, like I, at the time of my healing, I, like I said, I didn't even believe in healing. You know what I'm saying? Like the, I was always taught that that was something that was like past, like it had, you know, it had like died out. It wasn't a gift anymore. That's why you didn't see it. I didn't have a lot of people who, in my life who were like 
like the hippie people who had like Reiki and things like that. That was very much new to me specifically after my near-death experience. I started having verbiage to, to that realm after that. Yeah. I think that's really interesting. I had a Christian upbringing as well and have been somewhat apprehensive about my approach to Reiki. I have only had sessions from a very close trusted friend of mine. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's it's very similar in the way that I've heard people explain healing in a sense that one of the key components is simply that stillness. Mm. And actually Jonathan, Jonathan Van Valen, he is a friend of mine that I have interviewed for this podcast as well. He explained it to me that kind of similar in what you said is that you you don't do anything. It's actually the act of doing nothing that does something. It's essentially creating uh, an an open space for love to come in and to do the work for you. Oh, I love it. That's let. Well, that's a very, a very good definition of what I felt like I've kind of done in any of those situations, right? Like, um, and I think there's a part of acceptance because remember, like, I was prayed over three times, right? Like, so my brothers, the pastor, like the elders, whatever they anointed, and then CC. But it was like they created the space and then I accepted it, right? Like, there's a there's also that proponent and I think that you hit it where like needs you need to feel safe like you have to feel safe in in those in those times in those moments um and there's a there's a part of keeping like that healer keeping that safe space and then the acceptance from the person who wants the healing because I really feel like the definition from your friend and what you said and then that really speaks to my situations because I'm still again getting verbiage to, to all of this. I find the more I share my story, the more I actually learn about it, which is really kind of um, what I love doing. So do you personally believe that this is something that it's a blessing to any person that could potentially develop into having the ability to heal themselves and others? Or do you think it's just like you get set apart as a gifted individual? No, a hundred percent. I'm so glad you asked that because it is something that I really love answering because there is nothing special about me. The really, like, I don't have training. I, at the times where love had shown itself specifically in healing, like I doubt, like I doubt it. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it wasn't like, I, I have, I believe this, the power of love is in everyone. Cause that's all I leaned on. I leaned on that presence that power, that life force in me that I had cried to over and over again, that that safe space within me, like I know everyone has because we're all the same. Like we're all cut from the same cloth of love. We're all held together by love itself. When I died and I didn't see a heaven, I didn't see a hell, I didn't see like, you know, like aliens or space people or like, well, I didn't see any other thing. I just knew the presence of love and that presence of love I knew existed in every single thing, like every molecule of the universe, every person that has ever lived, anything that has ever been on this earth, on this planet is made of love. And that is the core 
essence and intention of everything here, like creation, what you see, right? And I believe every single person has that power, not just in them, but it is part of them. It is one with them. It is so intrinsically entangled. You cannot separate it from anything or anyone. So yes, I believe every single person has the power of love in them. And that power of love is beyond it goes beyond the impossible because it challenged what the world says is possible. Like it literally challenged everything that people say can happen. And it did it over and over and over again. Right. And so I know that there's nothing special about me or my training or anything like that. And I know that some people can say that they're like set apart and they're the healer. They're the one you go to. Like, you know, I just know in my personal experience that I believe that every single person, like love would do anything to allow every single person to know that kind of connection and power because it has pursued me with a relentless love to, per to prove that over and over again. And I know that I am not set apart. So it has to be for everyone. It has to, like, because... There's no other option there. Like, like I said, there is no way this isn't for every single person alive. I love that. Oh, so <laughs> I, I love that. Well, cause I actually talk about similar things, you know, with my friends and family about how I believe the, the fabric of our existence is all made up of, of love as well. Um, and that's just through my exposure to the near-death experience stories. Mm. And I've always had an interest in quantum physics. And oh, gotcha. I've always been interested in like the law of attraction and mm -hmm. just like the energy stuff, like looking into the quantum field, right? Smaller than the molecules and the atoms, that energy, that space that holds all of these things together is what I believe is love. And, and it's you can't yeah. measure that space. 100%. You know, we don't have yeah. any way of determining what that space is, yet yeah. it is responsible essentially for holding our entire universe together. Yeah. I think that's love. That's the that's energy. That's where the collective consciousness lives, you know? Mm -hmm. That is source all around us within us. Yeah. I mean, if you, so I love the fact that you study quantum physics because I've, I've had very few experiences where people weren't just like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad you shared that, you know, miracle experience. I've had a few people like kind of question it. And I was like, listen, I appreciate you sharing that with me. I appreciate you where you're at, but I, no one tried to prove me wrong more than me because after that near death experience, not the near death experience, but the, the, the healing, I was like, this happened obviously i can't explain it so and i'm a tangible person that's why it's so funny like the miracles keep happening to me and i'm like i'm a tangible i need taste touch feet <laughs> i need to know right and so i went on this like long i studied every religion again i looked at science biology i looked at like all these things and it like when i real like I studied the the quantum physics realm and I got down to the quarks like you know quarks are like the the breakdown like the the nanoparticles basically of like atoms right and when I started studying them and realized that the smaller it gets the less we understand about it because it just doesn't make any sense especially with our laws and um like some quarks only last 
like split seconds of milliseconds and then other ones can just be here like in, in one place and then all of a sudden they show up in another place and no one knows how they actually got there and I was like oh my gosh that what and then the one I studied was I think it's in Switzerland Sweden somewhere over there there's lots of money and fun scientists they talked this rich person into funding a program two scientists drilled into the earth like miles of the earth with a like the highest power lasers they could make they pointed them at each other and they shot it at each like they shot like <laughs> and like made new atoms i'm fairly certain i was like wait a second what what one who funded that because i want to know them but two like one who thinks of this and, and two like this is amazing and as they were kind of explaining this this very staunch um very strict um i don't you know they are one a creationist or anything like that but he basically this scientist got to the point where he said and he's dedicated his life to this right he's been doing this for years and he said that there is a point that we got to where it just stopped making sense and we had me i had to accept that there is a place in this universe at the very beginning of beginnings, the smallest part of life where science ends and spirituality begins. And that is where miracles happen. And I was like, oh my God, done. And so like science then for me explained miracles. Like it's, it's just, it's possible, right? And the way that these moments, these miracles have come up, it is the intention of love is the beat, the heartbeat of it. It's the undercurrent of it all. And it's to keep me going. It's to keep me not just surviving, but overcoming. And I just agree with you so strongly that that love, love, real love, pure love, true love is what holds all of this together. And it's just so beautiful. Absolutely. One more question really quick before we wrap it up. Okay. What advice would you give to somebody who is aspiring to practice and develop an ability to heal themselves and others? My hope for everyone is they understand like just how special they are, right? And because that's what love has taught me, has shown me, has relentlessly pursued me and has now convinced me beyond a shadow of a doubt. And um, I want that for each and every person. And no matter what you're facing, I believe that the power of love within is limitless, can do anything. So therefore you can too. I have found that I needed no guru, no preacher, no pastor. I needed no one to guide me because there was a time in my life where the guru had to die. And when that happened, I realized that I was the guru. I was the one that had the power to lean on by my onesies and make it through. And love has made it possible for every single person, I believe, to know love in that kind of fullness. And so it all comes down to self-love. 
believing. If you can't believe in yourself, believe in love because it is keeping you here. Something is keeping you here. There's too much chaos in this world for us to not think that you aren't supposed to be here, right? And that intention that love has would do anything for you to realize that. So it's about finding that stillness for me, asking the questions and sitting with them and feeling into wherever I was, no matter what I was facing, whether it's like, okay, this is dumb. I'm just starting to learn to meditate. What's happening? Why isn't this working? I started journaling all of these like doubts and fears and worries and things like that. And then I would do it every day, no matter what I faced. Right. And then that turned into things started to happen outside of me. Like I started seeing like numbers repeated and I was like, what the heck number repeating? You know, like, or I saw, um, it was butterflies at one time or like whatever, like, um, and then like, again, I would go back to like meditation. Like, what does this mean? Love, like, is this something, you know, and it's going to go through seasons, but don't give up on yourself. Like love doesn't give up on you. So I just hope you don't give up on yourself because I believe I'm saying it again, and I'm going to keep saying it because it's just true that love is limitless. And when you find that truth, real truth, and if you really embody it, I believe anything is possible. Oh, thank you. <laughs> oh man, that, that was I a hard you. question. I love you too. I want to hug you. <laughs> Sending you a virtual hug. Um, yeah, I mean, that was a hard question. And I, th- I love the way that you answered it. And that's, that's really important. I feel like first and foremost, before, you know, any warming of hands or any certain types of breathing exercises or anything that you could do to get into like a state of healing. First is just to have faith in yourself and to have faith in source god energy that makes up all existence (laughs) that connects Mm -hmm. us and binds us all together consciously and physically and yeah it's just to like believe in that believe in yourself Mm -hmm. and then to just let it in you know yeah and you just you just follow it like like love will give you guidance like if you ask for guidance it's gonna happen you know kind of thing so absolutely yeah well thank you so much for taking time out of your day to meet with me and it was such a pleasure you are just a delight. Thank you so much for the opportunity to share my story and to listen to my story. It's going to make me cry. Just listening to it, you know, um, and allowing, uh, me to be with you on your journey, because this is such, this is so special. I'm so happy for you. And it's, it's just, it means so much that you would allow me that space. The light Aww. inside of me Aww. sees and recognizes and loves the light inside of you. Namaste. Namaste. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. If you loved this episode, please consider leaving a review. If you're listening on YouTube, don't forget to hit that like button and subscribe so we don't lose each other. And just share the link with somebody who can appreciate this message. Blessings to you all, and I hope to catch you on my next episode. <laughs>